3: Connecting to the big show.
4: In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is
5: the law.
3: Peter, this is in our house. I mean, it really is.
4: People were there. We will continue to raise our voices.
3: We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk?
4: Call
3: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396
4: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The lines are live. Let's
4: kickstart the conversation.
3: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
4: On Cork's 96fm.
6: A little bit worrying there, that doctor in the 9 o'clock news saying that the cases are growing in the north almost six times as fast as they're growing here right now. That's roughly how I'm translating it. Because, And he's saying, if you listen to him, it's because they opened up indoor drinking and dining to unvaccinated people. That's pretty much what he's saying. The discussions are continuing, we'll be talking to some of our local publicans and restaurateurs there in a wee while about what's going to happen with vaccine pass, what's going to happen with indoor dining, when they're going to get it. The big question on everybody's lips, I think this morning, with a couple of them, one is the legal implications. That's kind of been dealt with now. They're going to put it through under legislation. More on that in the while. But the big question, I think, that the pubs and the restaurants and, I think, to be fair, punters want asked is or want answered is, well, hold on now. I can go in. I'm vaccinated. So is the missus. But the seven-year-old and the eight-year-old, well, they're not vaccinated. So... Do we have to eat outside in the rain? It's a valid question for people. And as people go staycationing up and down the country, it's going to be a very, very valid question. just met an old pal this morning on my walk through town. I came in on the bus and was chatting to him about where he might be going on the holidays kind of thing. And he said, well, what's the point? Um, The wife and myself are both vaccinated, but sure, can't bring the children into the restaurant. That's the big question on people's lips Today and to be fair it's one that has to be addressed because you can imagine you're fully vaccinated, your wife was fully vaccinated, maybe the twenty-two-year-old is fully vaccinated or whatever by the time we get on holidays, and then what happens with the eleven year old, the twelve year old? And it's I think it's a question to be fair that government have taken on board and they're gonna try and see where we go with it. But that's going to come over the next while. Now it's not a question addressed. In our first feature this morning, Uh, this is a pre-recorded interview that was done by our wireless group colleagues at FM 104 in Dublin, pre-recorded interview with the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Houlihan. It's one of the first interviews he's done for our network almost since this began. What I have is his answers. The questions were asked by FM 104 journalist Alison O'Reilly. What I have is Dr. Houlihan's answers. And they're interesting. A number of things were addressed in the course of that interview. As I say, because the government has said they're not throwing the questions back to Neffet. Neffet's advice on indoor drinking and dining isn't going to change as, as the Taoiseach has said. It's just not going to change. They haven't thrown those back at Neffet but a number of other questions uh, were raised by Alison O'Reilly when she met Dr Tony Houlihan and I'll let you hear those in just a couple of minutes.
3: Can we just talk the
6: Opinion Line on Cork's
3: 96FM. With
4: Dairymaid Premium Spread, 100% Natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out.
3: Big Drive Home, weekdays from four.
4: On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on The Big Drive Home for the biggest showbiz interviews.
7: I heard with Sam Smith wearing a Beyonce wig.
4: I've got the competition that is guaranteed to have you shouting at the radio the one-second song. Ah, no. <laughs> for all that's happening in Cork, the biggest tunes and a bit of crack in the evening, you know what to do. Join me weekdays from four. The
3: Big Drive Home.
4: Let's dog business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home.
3: On Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk the Opinion Line with
6: PJ Coogan.
4: Call us now,
6: 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just before we get to the Dr. and interview, two things, two notices I must bring to your attention. First of all, congratulations to Cork South Central TD, Donegal O'Leary and his partner Eamur on the birth of their daughter Nonine. Uh, Yesterday, congratulations to you all And also the best of luck He's on his way right now to the old head of Kinsale uh, To play golf The very best of luck to KC He's in a charity golf event On the old head today No he's not that level of golfer So what we'll be doing is that We're starting a GoFundMe Later this morning we're starting a GoFundMe To get KC's dignity back (laughs) He didn't think I'd say it on the air Of course I did alright one five nine nine six. As I say yesterday, this interview was conducted with our wireless group colleagues at FM 104 in Dublin. The interviewer was Alison O'Reilly. What I've got is, is the answers uh, to the questions that were put uh, to Dr. Tony Houlihan. The first question that was asked was very simply this. Is it the case that the more of us who get vaccinated, the more life can get back to normal?
8: I hope so and in, in as much as we can make make it safe and re- believe it to be safe we should continue to be able to sort of grow the range of things that people can do. Uh, if you look back over the period of time since about mid-April as we began to ease the restrictions from the full lockdown we've come a long long way uh, and I mean it's unfortunate that that we find ourselves now with this Delta variant because we know that if, if that hadn't happened we'd have been able to keep on that path we would have had a normal in relative terms summer The reality of the disease has thrown up another challenge for us i think it's going to be a particular challenge now for the next six eight weeks as we get more people vaccinated and unfortunately that is coinciding with the summer period but we have made some of our recommendations to try to focus some of these activities that we know inherently are not as safe so meeting up indoors indoor hospitality crowds these are the kinds of things that represent the greatest risk from the point of view of this virus and if you're not vaccinated these things can't really be regarded as safe so we want to get as many people vaccinated as possible and once people are vaccinated if we can then focus those activities on the people who are vaccinated more and more people can partake in if you like a relatively normal summer going to matches going to the odd gig being able to to uh, have access to to uh indoor dining indoor hospitality, uh, if we can put these arrangements in place and if we can try to all ensure that only the people who are vaccinated uh, partake in those. That's the safest way of doing this and it's increasing the range of activities all of the time. And as you know, we're vaccinating now well over 250,000 people a week, uh, sometimes substantially more than that. And so every week the number of people are able to benefit from those uh, measures will increase over the course of the summer. And now, happily, that's, in- that's including people between the ages of 18 and 40, now that we've started to vaccinate those.
6: A little caveat on that one, of course, was that the supply chain starts to dry up a little bit for a few weeks. Believe it or not, it's holidays in all of the production companies. It's just July, lads. Everyone goes on holidays. So the supply chain's going to dry up a little bit. So the 300 and odd thousand coming through in the last few weeks. That's going to drop to about 200,000 a week. We'll slow it down a small bit. But look, at least we're making, we are making, to be fair, we're making a lot of progress. Next question put to Dr. Tony Houlihan was about antigen testing because this is one that Nefit have baffled us with. To be fair, they've baffled us with uh, over the antigen testing. They they seem dead set against it. So the question was put to Dr. Houlihan, are we going to start using it more and if not why not?
8: So we see a substantial role for antigen testing in, in, but in, in, in specific ways. antigen testing would be really helpful now as the disease begins to surge as our PCR testing capacity comes under substantial pressure we can play in antigen testing and we know that in when you've got a high prevalence, in other words, high incidence of the disease, the test performs well. Where it doesn't perform so well is when you have low incidence of the disease and asymptomatic people. It's not good at finding all of those cases reliably that are negative. So if you use that as your screening tool, if you like, for people going in the door, you will pick up people who are infectious, but you'll miss a lot of cases uh, that will, where you will have negative tests, people will go into situations that could become super spreading events, have the disease but a negative test and we think that that's just too great a risk to take so we think actually it would be possible that if if we're able to be assured that uh, an indoor event like a restaurant or another indoor hospitality event is confined to people who are vaccinated we think that some of the arrangements that around capacity, that we'd be able to return to normal capacity. In other words, you wouldn't have to have the same distance and so on. So restaurants and pubs might be able to operate at a much higher capacity than would be the case if they were operating something like antigen testing at the door, because antigen testing isn't reliable enough. And I'm quite sure the publicans and restaurants of the country don't want to be running antigen testing at their front doors either. So we think if we can do it this way, this is a safe way. It won't have reliance on this test that's unreliable in those settings. Uh, and would allow them to get back to near-capacity operations. Uh, So what we're trying to do is do it as safely as possible, give those parts of the economy that are dependent on indoor activity, like like bars and restaurants, the opportunity to get back to near-normal activity as soon as possible, and also offer people the benefits of being vaccinated. If you've been vaccinated, you can regard these activities as largely safe. And as I say, more and more young people now getting vaccinated. So still a bit more frustration for people who are not yet vaccinated. But, 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 but another six weeks, eight weeks, I think is going to make a very substantial difference.
6: Hold on, he mentioned six to eight weeks there. Alison put it to him. Hang on, does that mean that indoor dining can't happen for six to eight weeks. or What is he saying?
8: No, I think, th- I th- I think the, the, the focus now, I think on measures that are uh, uh, being worked on, is to try to ensure that we can put these pass arrangements in place and begin to see the restoration of some of those activities much sooner than that.
6: Now, we've all been watching the European Championships and we've been watching Wimbledon and we've seen big crowds. And we know that we lost out, Ireland lost out on chances to have Uh, Euro matches at the Aviva Stadium because of the concerns in this country, because we weren't having crowds at matches or if we are they're tiny and Alison put it to uh, Tony Hullohan was it the right thing to do does he stand over the advice and does he stand over the small numbers which meant that we couldn't
8: have those big Euro games in the Aviva Oh I think we did the right thing we have th- in this country, internally I think we yeah, did the right thing. Yes. Yeah, I did. And I had a conversation uh, uh, last week with Mike Ryan in the WHO. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of concern ab- about the level of transmission that's been driven by some of the activities around, and this is no criticism of anybody, but the engagement that's happened, the congregation of individuals. in, in not just in stadia, but around the event. We've seen very significant transmission events now, and in some parts of the UK they can see a difference in transmission between men and women reflecting attendance patterns at matches. So we think uh, there's been a very significant contribution made now, in the wrong way, through the European Championships to the, the facilitation of spread of this Delta variant. Again, as I say, not a criticism of anybody other than a criticism of the Delta variant itself. Like, it is very transmissible. And an event like these with large numbers, large crowds of people attending has facilitated spread in many European countries, unfortunately.
6: Which, to be fair, uh, on Monday morning's opinion line, I don't have the audio to hand now, I put that question to John Campbell, Dr John Campbell. I always refer to John as a man of no agenda. Uh, just the facts, and I put it to them, was he concerned, or put it to him, was he concerned about the numbers at those matches? And indeed he was, based on the way that the Delta variant spreads. Speaking of which, that's the final question that we have that Alison from FM 104 put to uh, Dr. Houlihan to to break it down for us as regards Delta. Like, Why are we so concerned about it? it? It doesn't seem to, and again, this is based on The research. It doesn't seem to make people any sicker than what went before. So, why are we so worried about it?
8: Well, for you, we think for you as an individual, if you pick up this, this infection compared to the, the previous one, it, it, it doesn't represent any greater risk for you as an individual. The problem is that many more individuals pick it up because it's much, much easier to transmit. It has about a, about a 40 to 60 percent, we think, transmission advantage. In other words, it's 40 to 60 percent more transmissible than the Alpha variant, the one that went before, which, to cast your mind back, only appeared around the turn of the year, around Christmas time and into early January. And that one was somewhere between, again, about 40 and potentially 90% more transmissible than the one that went before. So we're dealing with something now that's about twice as transmissible as the variant that we, or the the original Wuhan variant, as we call it, uh, that was knocking around this time last year. So you and I are having a conversation in July we're dealing with a virus that's twice as transmissible as the virus that was knocking around last July.
6: So thank you to Alison
8: O'Reilly and
6: our colleagues at uh, our wireless group colleagues at FM 104 in Dublin for that uh, audio from the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Houlihan. 1850 Just on antigen testing and we heard what... What Dr. Hulu said there about antigen testing, they're still working on it, they're, they're, they're going to use it, they're just working on the context. There's a new one, I got a copy of it, uh, just 10 to 9, haven't had a proper opportunity to read it yet. There's been a very significant bit of research done in Liverpool, and it's published today in the British Medical Journal, very strong piece of research on antigen tests that said the benefits are unclear. It is possibly useful as an addition to infection control and that's after a huge antigen testing program in Liverpool. Also Dr Niall Conroy in Queensland who we've spoken to many times on the program and we will be speaking to again in in the days to come. He's had a good read through that British Medical Journal report and he has done a, a Twitter thread on it. So I think it's effectively what Neffet was saying a couple of weeks ago, that the science isn't there. Now the science is there, and it looks as if they're right. It's it's useful, it's, it's something we can use, like having another tool in the toolbox, but it's not the miracle that people seem to think it was. And that would now appear to have been... Verified by this new study through from the British Medical Journal uh, or in the British Medical Journal uh, taken in Liverpool. If I can get more details in a simple form, I'll bring them to you uh, maybe during the morning. 1850-715-996. So to the restaurants and the pubs and there's slow progress now being made. It looks as if there will be vaccine passes of some kind. We're all going to get the European travel pass, those of us who are fully vaccinated, we're going to get this EU travel pass in the post. Looks like we might be able to be using that to get in for a bite of dinner and a point. There's a lot of talking left to be done. There's going to need some legislation to put it through. They're going to have to rewrite, I think, if I'm understanding it right politically, rewrite a little bit of the 1947 Health Act to allow them to do it. This is the act We've explained this before. This is the act that was brought in in the late forties to cover the public health emergency we had then with TB, and the legislation's still there, and they've been using it throughout the pandemic. And they think now that in order to for this vaccine pass thing to be legally safe, they're going to have to rewrite a little bit of that legislation. And that's where we are right now. And of course, the doll rises next week. For the summer recess, so I think the, the restaurants and the pubs a little bit concerned about where this is going, but there has been some progress. Somewhat appropriate on the basis of one or two of the questions being asked by the pub and restaurant trade uh, as we look at a plan to possibly get indoor dining kicked off. If we go through the papers this morning. On the examiner, they're saying the cabinet is split about what to do when to open up vaccine passes have now emerged though as the only viable option the independent seems to be trying to address the legal issues they're writing that they're expected to have protection against legal action for refusing indoor dining to anybody without a vaccine search they're looking at the law and the the mail just taking a third sample hospitality chiefs have called on the government to urgently pass new legislation needed to reopen indoor dining before the doll breaks up for the summer. I'm joined by uh, two members of that profession, as it were, Arthur Little from Greens and McCurtain Street joins me, as does Peter Collins, owner of Barry's in Douglas. Morning to you both, lads. Morning, PJ. Now, I'll go to you, Peter, first, because uh, I've had the opportunity to, to partake of your, your wonderful garden development there and it's going very well for you but obviously you want to get people indoors are you prepared to do a segregation between vaccinated and non-vaccinated if it's all looked after legally
2: if it's the only show that the government come up with PJ of course we will uh, our preference uh, would be not to be policing something like that it's it's uh, bordering on, on discriminatory uh, uh, Practices, um, but look—if it's the only show that the government can come up with, uh, we will follow suit.
6: But if it, is it really discriminatory, or is it just a safety provision for now?
2: Well, m- that's my opinion. Um, of course, it's coming under the safety guise uh, that uh, the government are coming out with. After uh, uh, all the the, the the safety controls that have been put in place since this pandemic pre- broke out, um, but it's going to be very, very difficult to pol- to, to police. Um, you know, you can just imagine there are a busy Saturday night. Are you vaccinated? Are you not? You know, what sort of documentation would support this? Uh, it's going to be incredibly difficult. But as I say to you, if, if it is the only show that the government come up with, um, mm. we will follow it and
6: we will implement it uh, if we are told to do that. How important would it be that in setting it up that it has a, an end date?
2: Um, I, I think we've all seen with this virus... Um, and the way it's 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 you know it's gone on for the last fourteen or fifteen months that that uh, you know p- predicting an end date is is impossible. So yeah. you know I think we we you know it, it, I, I think that's a very difficult question to
6: answer. Mm-hmm. Arthur, bring you in there. I haven't seen your facility, but I, I understand that you're, you're doing your best with our greens like everybody else is. How where do you stand on this this pass idea?
1: Well, you know it's sort of I've heard it described as a balance of rights and whose rights are trumped by another's so it's really that delicate balance but what i'd like just to remind everybody is that so obviously greens is part of hotel isaac's and cask Bar as well we've been serving residents inside the restaurant without any conversation of whether they've had the vaccine or not yes we haven't changed our health and safety approach and i don't think i think sort of people are missing that a little bit in that we will still be requiring people to have uh, you have to wear their masks when they leave the table we'll be requesting people as the customers have been brilliant they've stuck by the, the what we're requesting and been very calm and we ask them not to interact with the other tables we our team we are really dealing with the challenge of spending eight hours with a mask on which can't be underestimated how difficult that is for them but again we're making every effort to try and protect them I'd I'd really prefer to think of the fact that there's so many people, so many members of the public, and now gradually members of our teams, who are actually getting the vaccine and choosing to get the vaccine. So we're really getting to a stage, and I think by the 26th of July, or in around that date, many, many of our teams, and many, many of our customers will have the vaccine. Mm. And I'm sort of disappointed that the government have taken so blooming long to, to... sort of suddenly figure out they need to adjust a piece of legislation from 1950x, like,
6: you know, it, it's mm. like, Well, it's, initially I think uh, reading the papers this morning, Arthur initially they thought they might be able to do it through statutory instrument, but the, the advice from the AG and others is, look, there's this big lump of legislation that we have uh, dating back to the late 40s uh, and we've been using it throughout this pandemic. Go back into it rewrite the relevant bit and, and let's do this legally
1: well fair, fair enough but four days before you go on holidays I mean it's a significant piece of legislation that they're trying to adjust well in fairness they were only you told
6: know, by Neffert last week that they needed to consider this you know
1: but, but like strategically the way this virus has, has sort of changed you would hope that, they've really been trying to strategically plan ahead and have option A, option B, option C, like we have mm. had to in our... Yeah, industry.
6: but Neff had only put the idea of vaccine passes on the table, Arthur, last week or the week before, you know?
1: But sure, like we, we've we had the, the, the request, like European countries have been testing people at airports for God knows how long. Mm. We're still dragging our heels on that. I mean, I know the antigen test situation is, is sort of, it's not a reliable way of, of controlling anything. But, you know, if if it comes in and we're required to do it, we, we will do our best to do it. We want to welcome customers back. We want to look after our teams. Mm. I mean, I think for our poor old industry, and we've got a hammering across our industry, and whether you're a hotel, pub or a restaurant, you know, I think we're going to have a long COVID. Let's call it a long COVID for our industry. And I'm I'm far more worried about the, the medium to long-term implications of what's happening rather than, you know, some additional controls for the moment the customers and the members of staff have played ball and there's a a, 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 a sort of the team if you mm. like, those are two teams working together to try and make us all safe in order that we can have a a good night
6: out and a pint and, and isn't there isn't compromise really the, the the name of the game now in that two weeks ago or a week and a bit ago you were told sorry lads there's no reopening indoors on the 5th of July now you've got an opportunity to do it using a pass you might be uncomfortable with the pass but hey do you want do you want customers or don't you kind of thing
1: Well, absolutely, but I mean, the the, the, I'm uncomfortable about many aspects of what's imposed on us at different times. But we have to get on and run our businesses, and and, you know. We like the, the the CRSS and the EWSs. These supports that the government are giving companies and help us with. with a, they're not going to last forever. We need to get mm. back generating income. We need to be able to look at our supply chain and make sure. Like there's a whole lead-on effect. Fishing industry, meat, everything is is impacted by us not being able to run a restaurant. Okay. You know, we it just we would usually have a thousand people a week uh, walking through the front door, and I'm sort of at. 150. That has an impact for food, drink, right the way down the right mm. way down the drain mm. chain. Never mind trying to get an atmosphere into a pub or restaurant with one third of the amount of customers if you're mm. lucky enough to have customers inside.
6: Peter, i come back to you because it's one of the things that is being discussed this morning. I'm reading it in the newspapers and hearing it on the national programmes that many like if you take your place below now and a family comes down, mum and dad are vaccinated but the eight and nine year olds aren't. Uh, and uh, is that something that needs to be sorted out before we get this? Well, done?
2: I suppose PJ currently, the, the, you know, there is no just because somebody is vaccinated or not that that you know we we don't inquire on. Yeah, but the, if they um, want to go inside, oh, sorry, if they want to go inside, well, well, you've just outlined an issue. Um, some women that are vaccinated and have their passes, whatever. The kids are not, We you know, okay, kids don't get vaccinated currently. We, mm. we don't know what the medical advice, do they need to be, do they not? Uh, you know, what about somebody that was uh, coming, let's say, from the north of Ireland and they were vaccinated up there and they have a different system to show their credentials. You, you can just see you now how it can become very tricky operating uh, a business, um, whether it's high volume or low volume or whatever volume. Uh, with these uh, sort of uh, different passes or different types of um, ways of showing you're vaccinated or not, or mm. you know, it, it's it's you you just hit it on the head how difficult it could be. Can you imagine that on a Saturday night and you, have you know, a mm. couple of hundred people waiting? But, but to if get it's, it's worked
6: out, you'll go with it.
2: Yes, I will. Uh, if it's worked out, uh, sorry, we will uh, as. Um, uh, Art was just saying we, we want to welcome customers back internally uh, and we will do what the government tells us to do. We mightn't like it, but we will do it. We, we've done it for 14 months, so we'll continue to do it. Um, but, uh, you know, a bit more thought uh, on it. Uh, I see that they're engaging with the, with the relevant bodies, uh, the Russian association, the BFI and the LVA. So hopefully, between um, uh, all those people, uh, hmm. you know, something uh, efficient will come out that ticks all the boxes.
6: And lastly, to you both, and I think Arthur, you mentioned some of your some of your staff are now vaccinated, Peter. And I know your staff are, are most mostly quite young. What's the feeling among the staff? Do they want to get vaccinated so that if they are welcoming people indoors, they're on the same level, as it were?
2: Um, it's. I, I suppose it, it differs between the, the different staff members. Um, it's not something we've, you know, we officially... Uh, oh no, you'd have a chat, Jack. Yeah, like. You'd have a chat, yeah. I mean, look, at, you know, I think I think the younger people are welcoming the fact that the the, the cohort levels are, are coming down, you know, the, the pharmacies now are, are, are vaccinating and, and as time goes on uh, the younger members of the population are getting vaccination. I, from what I can see...
6: Would you know it's, it's offhand like, just... Would you know offhand whether whether the staff are, are are booking in for vaccines themselves? I know I wouldn't. Sorry, P.J. I That's no, i annoying. Look, it comes up in yeah. conversation, but it doesn't. Yeah. You know, same yeah. to, same to you, Arthur. Do you, do you know offhand if your staff are looking to get themselves vaccinated just for themselves rather than for work or anything?
2: It, it,
1: it, it, would, it would appear that some are you know feel that they're not. Um, shall we say. uh, You know, when I was 22, I didn't think anything could damage me, hurt me or get in my way. You know, so there's a bit of that. I'm certainly aware of a proportion of them getting vaccinated. And others, I mean, uh, you know, as the senior guy in the property, I would never ask somebody are you going to get a vaccine? or Have mm. you been?
6: Vaccinated? But I mean, I think, like Peter, it comes up in conversations. You know.
1: Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't heard any massive negative um, uh, reaction to it at all. You know, it, it, in fact, a little bit the opposite. People were a bit excited when they heard. Uh, heard it was opening up and and evidence, you know, there is excitement around because lots of the pharmacies have waiting lists and you can't get in for two or three weeks so that's that's a positive thing but, you know, people need to be allowed the choice, even if we might disagree with their choices, you know, it's tricky, it's really, really tricky but we will maintain masks we will maintain a hygiene person full-time cleaning the surfaces and cleaning you know, the various different risk areas and we'll continue doing risk assessments we want our customers back in the door We want to
6: be entertaining them and looking after them. All right. Yeah, We
1: need to get get staff back in the door, you
6: know. All right. I'll leave it there with you both. Thank you very much. Arthur Little from Greens in McCourton Street and Peter Collins from Barry's in Douglas. Just to talk to the industry, actual people in it, rather than just representative organisations as to where they feel this is going to go. Even the discussion in government seems to me. Hall Martin wants to wait until the 26th. Some other uh, politicians need to want it to go on the 19th. The industry wants it to go on the 19th in general. Look, we're putting it out there for what it's worth. I, 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 I hate this idea, by the way. And I said it last night on my Twitter, and I'll stand over it. Do you know anybody who says to me that they will boycott a place that checks your vaccine status? Well, I'll drink your pint. But, but that's where I stand. Caller says, I have my COVID pass ready. It's brown and has 50 written on it. I doubt it'll be refused. I think if I go to a restaurant, says this message, and I'm asked to prove if I'm vaccinated, then I have the right to ask for proof that all members of staff, or at least the member of staff that will be interacting with our table, is vaccinated. I am vaccinated, but what about those that can't get it. There are a proportion of people that can't get it, and that is very sad for them. It's like everything. There are children who can't get their childhood vaccinations for some medical reason or other. And you see, the thing is, when we get to the magical herd immunity, that's what protects them. That is what protects them. And unfortunately, we're not there yet. We're nowhere near it. Kevin said, the elephant in the room. Our system can't cope with surges without a knock-on elsewhere yes the new variant isn't as harmful to the vaccinated but equally it doesn't take too much to tip us over on the indoor dining some countries have been using QR codes for a while it really isn't difficult link the vaccine passport to your COVID app scan the QR code enter in the premises yes Kev it's, it has been done all over the place uh, and there are many many countries doing it now that doesn't mean it's been easy but there are many many countries are doing it Someone was talking, yes, I forgot to read it out. This was Orla Hegarty, is it? The architecture. Yeah. She put up a brilliant tweet yesterday about your vaccine. And I really do like it. It, It's along the lines of, your vaccine is like factor 50. You put on factor 50, but you still don't go mad in the sun. I'm paraphrasing. So you have your vaccine. You still don't go mad. You still don't take unnecessary risks. So treat your vaccine like your factor 50. You put it on, but you still don't go mad in the sun. I thought it was the best analogy ever.
3: Can we just talk?
6: The Opinion Line
3: on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread,
4: 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Cork loves the arts.
3: We do too.
4: That's why we bring you the Arts House.
3: Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM.
4: Hi, it's Elmery. Each week, we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around
3: Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall
5: and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday
4: mornings, 8 to 10, with Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste it's at the root of what we do On
3: Courts 96FM
4: Can we just
3: talk The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
4: Text or WhatsApp now 083 96,
3: 96 96 On Courts 96FM
6: Now, keep sending me in what you think about the pubs and vaccine passes and restaurants and all of this, please avoid using a certain word I'll get back to it, but I'd like your views anyway but you know whatever about going in to have your dinner when you're vaccinated. There's a, a serious anomaly in the system now where the HSE has said it won't be extending access to maternity hospitals to partners who are fully immunized. Now this is a bizarre. We talked many times over the last few months to Linda Kenny, Al Kelly rather, who was campaigning on behalf of partners and families in general uh, to get inside the maternity hospitals because look, some of the some of the things people have been going through have been very tough Uh, and safety protocols aside it's still very tough Linda, the idea that even a doubly vaccinated partner can't get in uh, and have normal access uh, that's, that's strange development Good morning
9: Hi, PJ. Back
10: again, you? about something we thought would be solved so long ago. And you're right, it's really baffling because we had yesterday the National Women and Infants Programme, which are meant to be the sort of oversight, governing, coordinating group within the HSC for the maternity hospitals, coming out and saying vaccinated partners would not gain access to maternity services. And on the other hand, you have the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, which is also part of the HSC, to see advising in writing hospitals to take vaccine protection into account when looking at restrictions on people coming into the hospital. So the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing and women and families are suffering hugely as a result. And I think it's, it's really difficult for people who are coming up to their due dates, who are going into appointments, they're hearing the Taoiseach, you know, in the doll and they're hearing Stephen Donnelly in the doll say, this is all sorted. Like, mm-hmm. we've sorted this, we've got a policy in place. And then, you know, messages So just, just from go women. through
6: that again, Linda, to make it simple. You, you've, got mm-hmm. one, you've got one oversight group saying, yeah, now that Dad is double vaccinated, he can go in and come and go as he pleases. And another, and another group saying, "I, I, I actually know he can't."
5: Exactly.
9: That's exactly it,
6: PJ. And I what know does it Stephen Donnelly mad, say? It? What does what does Stephen Donnelly say?
10: Stephen Donnelly, when he's interviewed, says that the restrictions on partners should be ended. And the only place really where that has happened is in Galway. So in Galway, what they have done is they have opened up every part of the maternity service to partners. And the only sort of slice, um, I suppose, consideration around that is the antenatal clinics you know where you go in for your normal kind of -of run-of-the-mill appointment and there'd normally be a lot of people in these clinics and you could be there for a few hours they're asking that you contact them in advance if you want your partner to attend for those appointments not everybody would because mm. of other childcare arrangements or work considerations and things like that. But other than that, in the main, they have reverted to what would have been their pre-pandemic. Mm. And yes, we have Cork saying, no, like, you know, you can't come in if your wife or your partner or whoever is in labour, mm. unless somebody's in an actual labour ward in the hospital.
6: And correct like, me if I'm wrong, and I might be, I am from time to time, quite frequently, in fact, is it not the case that Dr Houlihan has said, Actually, there's no problem with a partner coming in.
10: You're absolutely correct. He was on the six one news saying there is no public health rationale for these restrictions to continue, and so what we have, PJ, is um, you know a hidden layer of hospital management who are you know going against all of the advice from the HSC senior management team, who are going against the advice of the chief medical officer, who are going against the Taoiseach and the Minister for Health in the country and there's no oversight and there's no governance and it really is shocking because I think for a lot of us who've been through like my little girl PJ, when I first started talking to you about this I'd just given birth. Mm. She is one next week. She's one next week. And women are still going through this. And the rate it's going, it's going to take years to get back to what the support was for people. Like, how how can people be
11: expected to live like that?
6: Mm, because we were told that once you're double vaccinated and you've waited your waiting time, then you've got all the protection that science can offer you mm-hmm. and you're entitled to some benefits from that. And mm-hmm. here you are, a very basic benefit. And I, I'm drawn to a memory, and because their, their baby arrived yesterday, at Dunnachalera and his mm. partner, I, I'm drawn to a memory of Dunach's very emotional Doyle's speech, yeah. where he spoke about a, a, a moment where they were very concerned and he had to sit in the car park. I can't imagine what it must be like to go through that. I still, I, can't, I doubly can't imagine what it must be like to go through that if you've had your vaccinations.
10: Or even worse, PJ, I got a message in over the weekend from a woman in Dublin who was 37 weeks pregnant and experiencing a very significant bleed and she went to A&E. And the HSE policy that they talk about allows for partners to come into A&E now. And her partner was still refused access at the door. So, you know, women are receiving these mixed messages all across the board. You know, there's so much support in one side for partners to have access. Then they get to the hospital door in a state of great distress, great vulnerability and their mm. partners turned away and in, in hospitals like if you went out to see UMH now in the car park you'd find at least half a dozen men waiting to be called in mm. like it really is appalling that we can't solve this situation, or that the HSC can't get their message right. Yeah. Which is it? Like, is Paul Reid in charge? Is the minister in charge? Who's actually in charge? Well, of the Well, hospital?
6: I've said since the start, Linda, and sometimes I've taken criticism for it and to which I always say, well, that's fine. That's where we stand in this programme. What we've always said in this programme is what Dr Houlihan says goes. Mm. And he has said on the One News, there's no public health reason for this.
10: Yep. Yeah, and I I think, you know, we'd really like to see the hospitals really look at this situation again. You know, like if Galway can provide a service safely, they're an acute hospital with, a, with the maternity section. You know, they're not a dedicated maternity hospital. If they can provide the service safely, and why can't the others? You know, like, why is it only that women are being supported by their partners in one element of the country and then being put through huge distress and trauma in other parts of the country? And we know that it's having a significant mental health effect on people. The research is there mm. already to show that it's having a massive impact on perinatal mental health.
6: Okay. Leave That's it. Good for anyone. Always good to catch up, Linda. Thanks. That's Linda Kelly, uh, campaigning for over a year for the the rights of uh, partners at maternity time. And let's look at this. Let's put this one on the table. Okay. There's a there's two sides of the HSE seem to be giving different advice. But to be fair, in general, the HSE says one part anyway says yes, go ahead. The minister says yes, go ahead. The chief medical officer says there's no public health reason here. Go ahead. And yet, the hospitals aren't going ahead. Like, what is going on? Can someone please explain? Like, there's an old saying, when, when five people, if ten people tell you you're dead, lie down, it seems everybody in authority is saying, just go ahead and let people see their partners in hospital, particularly when they're all vaccinated. What's going on?
3: Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With
4: Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
3: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
4: Call 1850-715-996.
3: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
4: Email opinion at 96 fnie
3: the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
4: on Cork's 96FM.
6: Yeah, uh, Election junkie that I am, I, I would love to be at that dublin face South by election count today. There's going to be Pilamaloo. One prediction that has been made here, it's a very early prediction by someone watching the tallies in the centre and there's quite a good tally being done and anyone who listens... Regularly to election coverages knows the importance of a good tallery. Very unscientific is predicting that Sinn Fein's Lynn Boylan will top the poll and have a narrow lead over Ivana Bachik. But that eventually James Gagan of Finnegale will be eliminated, which would be a huge loss for Finnegale, and his transfers will then elect Devanna Batchik. That's a very early prediction coming out of that Count Centre. Also that's coming out of the Count Centre, one of the candidates, I'm not going to name her, one of the candidates is presently having a blazing row with Gardi outside the Count Centre because she's refusing to wear the mask. If you know the list of candidates, you can probably guess which one it is. Um, but there's murder. There's holy murder. Mo- Sean Defoe has just put up a little video. There's holy murder outside this. If you're look, if you're a political geek and you want to follow it, you'll find a hashtag Dublin Bay South on Twitter. Twitter is good for elections. Twitter is lousy for a lot of things, but it's very good for following an election count. I keep uh, updated on that prediction. If I get any more, a few things coming in about maternity rights. I'll get to them. But <clears throat> we we mentioned this earlier in the week, and, and I was asking whether people had uh, lost out on their children's allowance and I, I think to be fair we might have brushed over it a little bit too lightly because every summer there's people have to make provision if they have kids in continuing education they have to make provision for children's allowance and it's usually quite routine And I was just thinking, well, look, that's maybe a letter that somebody left on top of the bread bin. It happens all the time, and then you get it sorted. And and it isn't really a massive, massive problem. I think I underestimated it. Louise Baylis joins me. Uh, Single parents acting for the rights of kids. Spark. Louise, what I didn't spot until I went reading a bit more deeply into it is a rule change that could leave people very short of money. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, it was a very um, upsetting day on Tuesday for a lot of families when they woke up and the, the child benefit payment wasn't paid. And a lot of people, depending on it, were left without essentials like food and milk, assuming that the money would be paid, had bought school books or school uniforms. And then when the money wasn't paid, they were left short this week.
6: Now, you have always, have you not, had to tell the department that your children were still at school? That that hasn't changed. So what has? And
0: no, it hasn't really changed as such. But last year, what happened, because the schools were closed during COVID, um, there was a change in that they waived the, the form and it was you get the forms when the schools reopened in September. So last summer it was con- paid continuously for 16 and 17-year-olds and then they got the form signed in September. Now, a lot of parents don't realise, firstly, when the child turns 16, that this has to happen. Mm. You know, there's no, there's, it's just a, a kind of hidden rule.
6: They don't so write first, to you, like...
0: But they, well, they, a lot of the times parents don't know until they write and then they get the form and then it's all sorted and that's yeah. fine. And, and sometimes, as I said,
6: that form goes up on top of the bread bin and it's forgotten yeah, about and, yeah.
0: and that's, um, yeah, exactly. And that's fine. And usually what happens is the forms will go out on the month the child turns 16 so that you can get that form signed in the school and that it's only for parents who may... Um, have ber- birthdays in turning 16 in June or July that, or August that might be affected. but usually in fairness the Department of Social Protection try to get those forms out before the end of the academic year this year however unfortunately people had to get the forms signed last September going back to school for obvious reasons because they had waived the, the assignment so people assumed that that form would be valid for a year until next September, which would be September 21 coming up. Ah. And unfortunately, what happened was it was only till the end of the academic year. The department was supposed to send out the new forms, didn't send out the new forms. They're saying it was an administrative error. So people quite rightly assumed they were covered um, and the department hadn't sent out the letters in time. So between the two, people were left without money.
6: Now the implications—they will get the money, won't they?
0: Oh, they will get the money, and that—that that has always been the case. And you know, it, and, and that is—if that is okay, they will get the money. The problem is when people have phoned up on Tuesday. The department, I suppose, hadn't even realised the administrative error uh, themselves. So I do feel sorry for the child benefit section because just from the amount of calls I know we were getting, and they were saying they were already onto the child benefit section. I can imagine they were inundated with calls. And on Tuesday, what parents were being told was, well the form isn't signed you'll have to get the form at the end of August we'll send it out, get the form signed in school in September and we'll try to pay it as soon as possible. But in real terms that was going to be October. There was a real panic of people of going, how do we get through the most expensive month of the year for children, which is August, trying to get school books and uniforms and all of that into place. It was when Um, I
6: read that and I remembered Many an August, where yeah, where, where exactly. dinner <laughs> dinner was noodles
7: <laughs> to yeah, try to get the school
6: books. Yeah, we've all done it, and you might yeah. laugh about it, but it is no laughing matter if no, you don't have the an, money.
0: No, and and most people will be relying on that child benefit, and to miss which would in effect be June, July, August, um, or July, August, September the three months that you really need to use it to get the children back to school was a real panic. So on Tuesday there was an absolute and utter panic um, among parents. I mean some parents told us about going into little, getting bread and milk and having to return it back because there was no money in the bank account they assumed was there. So there was a real panic about that for people who were depending on it for this week but in the more medium term parents who were Um, looking for to get children back to school. They panicked when thinking how am I going to budget for this now? How am I going to pay €500 for the child to get back to school when I don't have this money coming in? And there was a real panic on that on Tuesday because when they phoned up this section, the section was saying you'll have it in September, probably October. So just by chance, Spark a part of the National One Parent Family Alliance, which is a group made up of nine um, national organisations dealing with lone parent issues. So it includes the likes of Children's Rights Alliance, Barnardo's, One Family, and mm. um, all the big major hitters dealing with children. Um, and non-parent issues. So just by chance that afternoon, we had a meeting um, from 2 o'clock that afternoon. So it was raised as in any other business topic, you know, that this was affecting parents that day. We immediately wrote to the department. And to their credit, they they wrote back to us and said, yeah, we do see there is a problem. We're looking at it and we're looking to see if we can be taking a pragmatic approach this year and see if we can extend it out to... You know, allow payments and get the forms signed in September, but with no clear definition. It would take they, yes, a decision
6: to be made and just let it go through—is that it?
0: Exactly, exactly. That they, they like what they did last year, basically. That the requirement to get the forms signed when the schools are closed would be waived, and that people would keep in payment until September, and then in September they've got that month to get the fo- schools to sign the forms and then send the forms back in. Any so, idea whether
6: they'll be able to do that, or if they can well, when?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, so that was the decision on Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, we were told that. And then um, yesterday it was raised in the doll and by yesterday there had been a clearer decision. And we've been told that people will get their money within two weeks. Okay. Um, and, yeah, now there seems to be some, some miscommunication because we've been told by some TDs that they will get it for 17-year-olds, but 16-year-olds they won't be. So we're still waiting for full clarification on that. But if we can get all parents, I mean, it seems the pragmatic approach just to pay parents this particular year because there was an administrative error in the department itself and allow then in September for forms to be And
6: signed. that error has been acknowledged, yeah?
0: They know they have. They've acknowledged. Right. Yesterday, Eamon Ryan was in the doll and he acknowledged it was an administrative error. So it wasn't... Because initially when we started getting the trickle calls, we thought it was forms not signed in time. Because that happens every month. Do you know there's, yeah. there's an ongoing review? So we thought it was that. And, and then it just obviously seemed like it was a lot bigger problem. Okay. So, yeah. So... So to anybody
6: listening to me this morning, uh, Louise, who's in the position that we described there earlier on, you know, that yeah. they're, they're worried and, and I guess scared and looking, okay. looking to yeah. August. I mean, it's only, it's only a couple of weeks. Looking yeah. to August and thinking, how the God in hell am I going to afford anything? Yeah. It's, being, it's being dealt with.
0: It's being dealt with. It really is being dealt with and we're really hopeful that people will have their money within two weeks and then it'll go forward. They'll get their money in August as normal and then in September they'll have to get the form signed. So it seems like, to be fair to the department, they have reacted quite quickly. They've acknowledged it was a mistake and they're doing everything they can to rectify it, which we're delighted. And it also shows the power of um, the the cooperation between the department and an organisation like the National One Parent Family Mm Alliance, where we're hearing things on the ground probably before they do and that we can react quickly and let them know there's an issue and that they can come back directly to us and it is working as a system and hopefully we'll have better cooperation between the Great. department and ourselves going forward because it does make an impact on families who are depending on the
6: money. I'm sure. I think a lot of people will breathe a sigh of relief and that's why I wanted to talk to you, Louise, so we can get it explained to people and and get maybe take the pressure off them. Thanks ever so much. That is, oh, hold on, one quick question to come in. Yeah, go yeah. on, what's that question? I got the form in April, got it signed, returned it, got confirmation but then it read on citizens' advice it would stop for July and August while they're still at school. What's the story there?
0: If she got the form signed to continue ed- education, it shouldn't. Mm. Um, and, and uh, like, that's the whole point. They send them out in the month the child is born. Um, you know, so the, ch- the, the child's 16th birthday, and that should last. You know,
9: mm.
0: yeah. And I think in those cases, the, those ones have, have slipped through the net. But that should be rectified within the two weeks
6: as well. All right, Louise, thank you. That's Louise Bayless of Spark single parents acting for the rights of kids. So if you haven't got the money you should have got on Tuesday, if it wasn't in the account on Tuesday, don't fret, it's being sorted. They have admitted there was a mistake. There was an error in administration which is why loads of people didn't get money on Tuesday, but they're they're addressing it and they'll deal with it, and people like Louise Bayliss will hold them to that. 1850-715-996, just on maternity rights and the discussion we had before 10 with Linda, where there is no public health advice against it, there is no seeming sense to it, but Double vaccinated partners are still not allowed in to the maternity wards as they would have been pre-pandemic in normal times. Louise was on. I had a daughter in February in the height of the restrictions. My husband wasn't allowed in until I was literally heading into the theatre. He was allowed to stay in recovery for a short time. When I was being wheeled back to the ward, he was told to go one way and I was taken the other. I had to make the porter stop so my husband could say goodbye to me and his newborn daughter. I knew I wouldn't see him for three days. I asked the next day if I could go home as I felt so lonely. I was healing well, no infection or anything, and my daughter was perfectly healthy. They wouldn't allow me, although I felt I would have been safer at home with the risks in the hospital. The midwives were great, but the restrictions were too much. The stress it caused me was horrible. The restrictions like this should should not still be there. The HSEs has a call. HSE are taking the light at what should be one of the most exciting and happy times in people's lives. Uh, The stress being caused can't be good for anyone. I reckon the people working in maternity wards, this this is just somebody's view. I'm reading it and putting it out there. I reckon the people working in maternity wards prefer it this way. A lot less people to deal with and only have one parent to answer questions for. Of course, they're not all like that, but from people I know who have experienced it, myself included, The midwives enjoyed their extra power telling new mothers what to do. Sounds a bit hard on midwives given the previous comment that the midwives were great. Uh, Just uh, on on vaccines from earlier on, Debbie says, I was going to applaud that lady's metaphor of sunscreen. This is the one that says, it was Orla Hegarty who said, look, treat your vaccine like factor 50. You still don't go mad out in the sun even with your factor 50 on. Then I realised that people's understanding of sunscreen is the same as vaccine. They think sunscreen makes them immortal. She has the right idea though. In Australia you're not allowed to use the term sunblock anymore. Maybe we need to think vaccine, rethink vaccine as well to make it clearer to people. Debbie Downer Is is she Australian or where is she? That's an unusual name. Never heard of a Downer before. Not in the name anyway. We've all had Downers in our lives. But You're not immortal with the vaccine. Uh, Treated like sunscreen. In other words, it's a scorcher of a day, middle of summer. Sun is high in the sky. You put on the factor 50 to protect yourself. Then you don't go crazy outside. That's kind of what she's saying with the vaccines as well. 1850-715-996. Giovanni says booster shots will become the norm in the medium term. That's probably on foot of the news that Pfizer this morning are looking for license to do full-scale research on a third vaccine, third jab, because they have discovered in what limited research they're allowed to do, they have discovered that a third jab, a few months hence from your second can really boost your immune system and really make it strong and long-lasting. And there is a very, very distinct possibility, and we've known this for months, that in the time, in October time, when people are getting their flu jab for the winter, that we will all, some some of us will be able to get a, a an additional COVID jab just to keep us safe for the winter. That That's where we're headed with this. Uh, for a few years, because this pandemic, as Mike Ryan said during the week, this pandemic is nowhere near over. We're going to be safer in the next couple of months, but the pandemic is nowhere near over.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM with
4: Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. <laughs>
3: The Corks 96FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now.
4: Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The
3: power to pick what we play. Pick
4: what we play. Join the Corks 96FM Music Panel.
3: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.
4: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
4: Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396
6: 96 96. On Courts 96 FM. Some uh, comments held over from the interview recorded in Dublin with Dr. Tony Holohan. We played out his responses uh, earlier in the morning. I I don't think some people understand how pre records and that kind of related answer uh, works. People are saying, why didn't he ask a few hard questions? I didn't ask the bleeding questions. Yes, sausage. I relayed the answers to the questions that were asked. Sweet God. It must make your day listening to your God, says this anonymous message. And uh, I'm being trolled on Twitter as well. I'll read, actually, some of the trolls are very amusing. Morning, Philip, I'm looking at you. Some of the trolling is very amusing. Very amusing. How's ever? Let's let's do something else for now. When you go back into the office, are you going back into an open plan? I've never had an open plan office. I don't know what it feels like to work in one. But downstairs, a lot of our our salespeople in 96FM would work in an open plan office. They all have their little box, their little cubicle. But by all accounts, Open plan offices are not that popular out there. Caroline Reedy uh, from the HR Suite. Caroline, good morning.
11: Good morning. How are you this lovely Friday?
6: And you. I hope it's nicer where you are than I am. It's kind of dull and dreary down here, but I think it's nice up the country. Caroline, um, the open plan office or the the cube farm, as a friend of mine calls, calls it, very practical, but a lot of people don't like them.
11: Yeah, I think it'll be a big change for people as we transition from working from home. For a lot of people, they've been doing it now for the last 18 months. And now we're transitioning to returning to the office. The government are suggesting September time is the likely date. And the UK have obviously gone back already. And I think this whole transition, first of all, because people have been so used to the home environment for many they're dying to get back into the office whatever form that takes for the social interaction and all the other positive things but for many the office and particularly if they're returning to an open plan is going to be a big shock to the system
6: Mm. uh, What are the big issues that have come up?
11: I suppose one of the biggest things is around the concept of distraction that the noise in the background um, really doesn't suit some people in terms of concentration and As a result, I suppose, for them, they're not as productive. And for them also, it gives them anxiety and causes more stress on them. The fact that they're working in an environment that there's just too much going on for them to be able to fully concentrate on what they're specifically doing.
6: Yeah. So I guess in order to do things more safely anyway, an open plan office with five or six people working inside it might not be the safest living in an airborne in the the atmosphere of an airborne transmitted virus?
11: Um, The key, I suppose, about, you know, the return is that as employers start to get staff to come back into the office and for many, they're looking at a hybrid working model Mm. rather than uh, we're all back on a date and that's it because for many employees, there is huge work-life balance and other advantages. But if they're returning, we need to do a risk assessment to make sure there's good ventilation, to make sure that we've done a risk assessment to make sure that, you know, the social distancing still applies, etc. So for some, they may not be able to have everybody back at the one time to meet those obligations. Hmm. So it might be a forced hybrid for a while, even for those that are planning a full return.
6: The sticky question on whether or not your staff are vaccinated. We we kind of understand, do we not, now that you can't force your staff to be vaccinated.
11: A hundred percent. I suppose it's a constitutional and human right that people have the choice to choose and um, to choose to maintain their bodily integrity is the key thing. And we've got recent, I suppose, updates from the Data Protection Commissioner to further reiterate that we can't even ask employees whether they've been vaccinated or not unless it's in line with a public health interest. So, for example, in the HSE, they have a legitimate reason to ask their staff because they'll need to take additional measures because as a medic, uh, in whatever form, they they can't maintain social distancing. Mm. It's a bit of a headache thing, for right.
6: employers, though, that you can't ask. I mean, it, it is a real headache. Like
11: It is insofar as for other staff, they're um, saying, well, look, I'm not happy to come back until I know everybody has been vaccinated those kind of statements I suppose are now becoming problematic Um, and ultimately I suppose whether somebody's vaccinated or not isn't going to protect the other person more per se um but it is something that i suppose gives another layer of protection to the person themselves obviously who gets vaccinated and has very positive uh, success uh, based on the um on the stats you know which is is really positive do
6: we know caroline if and we originally i think the last time we spoke we were looking at maybe september time when people would start going back, maybe they'd go back into the office around the same time the kids went back to school. Is there any talk out there that the the Delta variant and the Delta wave, as they're calling it, might slow that down again?
11: Not likely to uh, change it by the current updates. Um, A number of ministers are now talking about September as the return to office date. And, you know, there's more and more talk September looks to be likely even with the um, Delta variant I think the measures now employers need to start planning as if that will happen and if if it's kicked out you know that we, we go with that but I would say it's very unlikely that it will change because of the fact that Mm. many people are being vaccinated and offices are, you know, planning the set up better, but possibly the hybrid of we won't have everybody in because we don't have the space yet Mm. when they need to maintain social distancing.
6: So is now the time, Caroline, maybe if you're a little concerned, you might have an underlying condition and all that. Is now the time to be talking to your boss about what lies ahead of us over the next couple of months?
11: Absolutely. And I think um, like this has been emergency remote working. So, you know, people were forced to, you know, overnight start working from home, literally go in, collect your PC and your chair or whatever. And literally you started working from home. And um, during the pandemic, we've been definitely more conscious of needing to ensure the safety and well-being of people at home is also managed. But for many, it hasn't been ideal. So people have been working in a spare bedroom or which, which doesn't have the right, you know, space or desk or chair or whatever. Whereas now all employers, if they're going to allow employees to work from home, have to make sure that they've done that risk assessment to make sure that they have the right setup at home and it's safe for them to do so they have to make sure that they can maintain gdpr confidentiality etc because if they're in a the house share they may not have the um the technology the cyber security may be an issue if they don't you know all these things have to be assessed okay. and you know there's a bit of work in it for employers and you great advice from your perspective to encourage people to start talking to their employers sooner rather
6: than later. All right, Caroline, always good to have you on The Opinion. And across course, I'm Caroline Reedy, uh, HR Suite. Talk to your boss now. If you have a concern, talk to your boss. If you want to stay working the way you are and you've been doing your job and doing it well, then talk to your boss. It's simple, really. Come here. We have no, we have no concerts. I, I drove past the Marquis site the other day and I had a little sad... Feeling come over me, actually, what is that smell down there there 's a smell down there it would knock a flipping buffalo down around that place, particularly on a warm day anyway that 's just a by the bye. But I was driving down that way just to collect the unfa the other day, and I just was sad as I passed the old marquee site that we 've no music for another summer, and the same when I drive past Musgrave Park or Irish Independent Park, sad that there's there's no gigs. I'm so looking forward to going to the Opera House, by the way, Saturday night, one of the pilot gigs. I'll be telling you all about that on Monday. But anyway, to replace live events, if you could ever do so, Cork's 96 m's exclusive... Online station is back. The Back Garden Festival, streaming the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars. It's there now on the app with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. On the app you can listen or indeed go to 96fm.ie. Talking about the policies in the hospitals and double-jabbed partners and they can't get in still... Lisa, uh, don't say what hospital this was, but you've called the opinion line uh, with something to say. Morning, Lisa.
9: Morning. Yeah, it's hospital number one. I was booked in for a procedure. Mm -hmm. So two days before I went for the COVID test and in the car park, uh, the nurse was telling me it was a completely different procedure and there was a big, you know, deal in the car park. So she told me to have this procedure, I would have to go the day before. So I decided not to go to that particular hospital because, number one, they didn't even have the procedure right. Mm-hmm. Do you get me? Mm-hmm. So I got an appointment for a second hospital. And they called me yesterday and said, we'll see you two days before for your COVID test. And I said, well, I'm fully vaccinated now. And they said, no, it's hospital policy. And I said, well, the other hospital policy was the day before. Can you explain that to me? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, it's hospital policy. End off. Now, I like, just and I don't want to specific. ask too
6: personal a question. This is maternity related or not? Is it?
9: No, no, it, it's not. I can okay. say what it is. It was a gastroscopy. Okay. I can't even say the word. And according to Hospital Number One, I was having a completely different procedure. PJ, yeah, i understand? So I was like, what is going on here? And
6: you're double vaccinated and I presume you have like, I know hundreds of people now are getting their little card laminated um, yeah. and, and you're carrying it. so the little
9: vaccinated. Yes. The little
6: card has no bearing yeah. on it.
9: No. And you know what the sad part is? It's the, the nurses are on the front line. They're overwhelmed with COVID tests. They're not getting the proper procedures for patients. Mm. They're getting abused then because people are obviously upset because they can't understand I'm here today for my COVID test, you told me come. Mm. But if it's this procedure, sorry, you have to come back tomorrow. It's just, it's a nightmare. There's no communication from management.
6: And again, you'd wonder why you have to be tested anyway if you're vaccinated.
9: Well, I did. And obviously, like you said, it's like factor 50. You know, we have to still be careful and all this. Mm. But like my feeling on it is I'm double vaccinated. The nurses have enough to be doing, you know, Mm. without having to to check to me for COVID you. Yeah, two few days before a procedure or one day before a procedure, depending on the particular hospital, which I don't understand. Well, I suppose
6: each hospital will make its own decisions in that regard. I mean, we know that from maternity. Each hospital this, is making so, its own decision.
9: This is my point. Like, obviously, the management are making the decisions. The pressure has been applied to the nurses yeah. and the frontline staff. And obviously, we're not going to get a manager and eat the head off him because they have our wrong medical file. Yes. Or procedure. It's
6: the it's a poor and old nurse is getting is getting the brunt of
9: and it. And I'm I'm devastated over them. I mean, I couldn't apologise enough to the nurse, but I was like, that is not the procedure I'm having done. Sorry, you know. Okay. Okay. And I was okay. like, I realise it's management. I know it's not your fault. Yeah. But I was it. just I'm just so sick of the miscommunication and the yeah.
6: chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's, that's a bit off. All right, Lisa. Listen, thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. appreciate it, uh, Lisa. Having a procedure, looking for having a procedure done, she, not a maternity-related one. She's going to a hospital, she's double vaccinated, and yet she still has to get tested. Even the structure of the test, even the way... It's all a bit random. Thanks, Lisa. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Let me read you, because <laughs> I did say I would. Let me read you some of the stuff that I'm dealing with after the the Tony Hooligan interview. Again, somebody else's interview that I replayed. So, and of course, uh, the idea that, I, and I did. I said it last night on Twitter and I stand over it. If you're one of these people that's going to boycott a, a pub that agrees to vaccination passes, well, then I'll go in and drink your pint. And I'm entitled to say that. And I believe it. And tough if you don't like it. What I'm dealing with this morning is the pandemic. Hello, Philip. You've 15,000 followers, PJ. 50 of them agree with you. That's the 50 who saw it, Philip, anyway. The pandemic. Listen to this, lads. This is great. The pandemic has destroyed your career. You've lost all credibility. You've embarrassed yourself supporting the zero COVID loons. And now you're calling those who want to stand together with the unvaccinated pathetic.
3: Go away. Go away. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy
4: Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk?
3: The opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Courts, 96 FM. By the way,
6: on the whole restrictions thing and testing thing and whatever, and, and COVID and lockdowns and all that, uh, you know the way they always go on about, we had the longest and the hardest lockdown in the world, and we're still in lockdown. You know those fellas? Yeah. I have been talking to TikToker Supreme, Miriam Mullins. Half the world is following her on TikTok and Insta. She's in South Africa at the moment. I caught up with her last night about it. You can hear that in the last hour. Lads, we've no idea what a lockdown is. We never had. So get that one out of your head. Hello, PJ. I can't understand some of your listeners' comments. You keep us well informed. Well, thank you. On the COVID procedures in hospital, I guess one of the reasons why you still kind of need to be tested if you've been double vaccinated is, look, if you're double vaccinated, the truth is you can still be carrying the thing. You just won't get sick. This is the whole sunscreen argument. You just won't get sick, but you could be carrying it. And you won't know. So it's they're, they're protecting the other patients it's not a reflection on you, fair point. But they could all have the same kind of procedure too. It's an even fairer point. And they could explain it better. It's a fairer point again. Uh, I was to have a procedure on Wednesday. And two days beforehand, I was told to get a COVID test. What happens if I get COVID Monday evening? It'll incubate and I'll be infectious. The whole thing is a joke. And then another caller. Do people not realise they can still carry the virus even though they're vaccinated? It doesn't make us immune. just helps us to fight it better. I'm going for an operation myself. They told me I'd be tested every 72 hours. Just because I'm safe doesn't mean those I meet will be. Which is, again, a fabulous point. 1850-715-996. We talk so many times about people. How brilliant it was to have pets in the house in the hardest days of lockdown. Um, and it was. And I said it here many, many times. You know, when it got dark and difficult and dull and dreary and and hard and you're feeling a bit flat and a bit bleh, you know, there's nothing nicer than the company of your dog for an hour or two because they don't care. They just love to have you there. But there's a statistic has come through from the UK where an awful lot of people who got dogs during lockdown... Uh, Are now giving them back because they're going back to work. And about 20% of dogs that were picked up and brought into homes during lockdown, some of them are trying to get rid of them. At home, other people are buying other dogs to mind the first one. Let us find out what's going on by joining the West Cork Animal Welfare Group and speaking with Tori. Tori, good morning.
12: Good morning, PJ. Lovely to speak to you as always. And And to you. you
6: We all, I think, appreciated and loved our animals. A little more on the on the dark old days of lockdown, but now that it 's coming to an end, and people are going back to work they 're entitled to more respect than they 're getting
12: yes, absolutely. I mean before I start, there will be some excellent owners out there who got pups and dogs during lockdown, and we 'll look after them and we 'll keep them forever. But there are also our other people who did get them just for the simple reason that they were home during this difficult time and working from home and kids at home. And as you said before, I totally agree. There's nothing like having a pet and it really does lift the spirits and the company of a dog is like nothing else really for people. Mm-hmm. Now, we, I think we haven't seen the worst of it at all as yet. I listened to your UK statistics. Um, we're obviously a smaller population and people are still, if you think about it, PJ, working from home. Uh, the kids are at home for the summer. So I don't think we're going to see, and the, bear in mind too, that the dogs are still quite young. So I don't think we're going to see the worst of it till the winter, and it will happen. Now we have had some lockdown pups and dogs in, and mo- funnily enough, mostly they're, they're breeds, pure breed dogs, mm. um, and we have had them. And luckily enough, they've been very easy to home because we've got a long list of people, and people we've no- we know who want a specific breed or type of dog on our list. So they have been, e- we haven't, we haven't even put them on the website or Facebook page. Um, We had a um, a cabochon, which we did put up, and Mm. we must have got 400 applications. Mm.
6: I I can see why. They're the most wonderful little dogs. They have one. Yes,
12: they are. Yes, they are. And and if you go anywhere, I'm sure you've noticed it in Cork and the markets here. I do Skibbering Market and everything, um, and Skull Market, and you'll see the amount of puppies around at the moment. And as you said, sometimes people are getting two puppies um, now, I always, or we would always advise as a rescue to get one pup, settle it, get it uh, trained somewhat. Mm. Because if you've got two unruly children, it's a lot more work than one unruly child. Mm. So.
6: And they will mind each other. They, they, and they will look company. after one another.
12: You know, my yeah. dogs are a pack animal. Mm. It they doesn't matter if they're company. not the same
6: breed. They, they will mind one another. Oh, and
12: they, absolutely. No, <laughs> no, no. And I mean, we will always advocate uh, adopt, don't shop in every single case because literally there are breeders out there and there are some g- registered breeders and people should really look into where they're buying pups but there are breeders out there pumping out pups mm. and these little Cavachons are just kept and these little king charles and all these little dogs are kept mm. they're kept very in very small surrounds, and mm. literally bred and bred for all their lives yeah and it's, it's, great it's and terrible chasing. and Particularly, particularly
6: the Cavaliers. I've had four or oh, five yes. car- Cavaliers, yes. and the most adorable little dog, most perfect oh, children's dog, but they're bred in some awful cruelty.
12: They are, and they're being um, interbred. If you think about it, original, a Cavalier originally would be four or five breeds when they would have been first developed. Mm. Now they're being bred with each other, so therefore um, these brachycephalic dogs with the very small noses are finding it harder and harder to breed. pugs, French bulldogs. If you yeah. compare in 1900s, a cavalier or a pug to what they look like now, they bear zero resemblance. They do,
6: they do. Even the the little, and and as they get smaller, the noses get tighter and I've seen them around and it's terrible to see that happening. So are you guys being inundated then with with pedigrees being given back because people can't handle them?
12: Not particularly inundated but we have got some um, and literally people have got them with very small children. Babies even, and it hasn't. I mean, a German Shepherd with babies, or a Collie God. with babies, and they're high-energy dogs, and mm. they need miles and miles. I say to people, "Are you prepared to walk this dog five to ten miles a day?" And they thought they could just have it with the kids, and it'd be great fun, and we'd all have have a great time. But it will happen where where these where it will get worse. It's going to get worse. We're still we're still in the early enough days, really. Tj, mm. it, it's time now. We'll tell and. Also, uh, if anybody out there is looking for a career and loves animals, please consider becoming a behaviorist because there's not enough behaviorists out there. And also, I, I also say to people, contact a behaviorist to try and get help before it's too late because I get messages all the time, oh, well, he's snapping, he's doing this, she's mm. doing that at the kids or he's jumping up. And how long has it been going on? Oh, six, eight months. By which time, the, it's the habit behavior, now. Yeah. yes, is ingrained. And it's much more, there's no such thing as a bad dog. It's, it's 99.9% owners who really don't understand the breed. And I really encourage people to do research. Mm. And if it, it, and also, as an aside to the Cavachons and the Cockapoos, um, I know an awful lot of breeders, uh, sorry, not breeders, groomers, Mm-hmm. And uh, the groomers are saying that they're, they're coming in too late. They, these dogs need grooming every every two, three. Oh,
6: Cavachons grow like moss.
12: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Shed- problem with them
6: is they're they're also I don't know whether it's just my fellow, but they have a temperament in. They're beautiful <laughs> dog, but they're like a little knickers. They they run in <laughs> under the table when they hear the razor coming.
12: Oh, absolutely yes. Well, that's where. And and another thing is, if you get a pup, bring it to the groomers when it's only a small, tiny pup. Yeah. Let the groomer pet it and brush it. If, if, it's, if it's a year old and you're taking it for the first time to a groomer, it's going to be absolutely
6: terrified. It'll be a ball of knots anyway if it's a year old.
12: But, well, it's like a shell. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a lot of the groomers literally have to just shave them. Yeah. And it's like a sheep in yeah. the end. Mm, yeah. So and it does uh,
6: become... These are the things that people don't take into account when they're taking in a dog. Are people dealing with working dogs at all now, Tory? Like greyhounds, lurchers. I, I had a collie for years, beautiful dog. Yes. D- 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 you know, so actually, the th- greyhounds. I didn't realize that they're lazy buggers. They don't need half the exercise you would think. But are, no. are they are they as popular?
12: No, no. I mean, greyhounds need a good run in the morning, a good run in the evening, and they love the couch and they love their cuddles, mm. and they're they're brilliant pets. Absolutely, we've got five at the moment, <laughs> um, four ex racers and one that didn't even make with bred for racing, but didn't even. Yeah, five at the moment, and there's zero interest really, very very little. Mm. Uh, we did have interest in one but that fell through Mm. and lurchers uh, lurchers not so much at the moment but we do get them in and collies we've got a 9 year old, beautiful 9 year old collies, owner died um, called Patch at the moment, Mm. absolutely zero interest.
6: Can collies be difficult because they do bond very tightly with the owner?
12: Oh they do and they make great pets and there's some wonderful people out there, we have um, a friend of ours Louise in Cork and she's got um, 3 collies, 2 of them from us and she's absolutely wonderful with them. She understands the breed, she takes them running, mm. and they make wonderful pets as long as it's a very active home. I mean, yeah. you can't really attach a collie to a pram because it's just not going to work.
6: <laughs> they go off down the road with the pram <laughs> exactly. after
12: them. You see the pram flying in the air. But we wish we wish we did get more interest in the bigger dogs. But to be honest, PJ, it's all small and fluffy and... Yeah. Um,
6: yeah, and and it's getting constant. back to the breeding of it, they're, they're breeding them now, and I, I I cringe when I see it. They're breeding them it's smaller and smaller, and smaller yes. and smaller and yes. smaller. That yes. can't be natural, Tori.
12: Yes, no, not at all. It's it's these teacup this and teacup that, and these are tiny this and these are t- and they're getting tinier and tinier. A lot of the time, those mothers can't even have those pups. They, they end up in serious trouble. Sometimes they they don't even survive. Cesareans. So it's it's just appalling. It's awful. But yeah. it is driven by demand. And yeah. if people uh, stop wanting these dogs and never ever meet anyone in a layby or a, a car park to, to yeah. take a pup, you need to know exactly where your pup. You need to see the parents.
6: I confess, I did that once. I know. And we were it's haunted. Me lucky. Before. We were haunted (laughs) lucky because little Bella is just a beautiful little dog. Mm, mm -hmm, But, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of think we were crazy. Mm. We were daft. We were lucky. She's eight and in great health. But You're lucky. You know?
12: And, uh, yes, and they can have Terrible um, health conditions and also the um, the vaccination certs can be forged oh, yeah. and how many cases have I seen of pups with parvovirus and they die and everybody
6: ends upset There's a I thought parvo was gone Tori is it still oh. out there?
12: Oh absolutely parvovirus is very prevalent yes we have to be extremely careful in the rescues I mean we power wash and disinfect every single day because if we get in unvaccinated pups um, mm. it's a huge danger. Yes, parvo is very much out there and there's a lot of cases Crikey. of pups from puppies. I didn't know that. Downing I thought up.
6: parvo was under control through vaccination.
12: No, no because you see the mother if the mothers and the, the parents are not vaccinated it can actually come out then in the pup. I see. I see. And gotcha. unfortunately also when you move pups they get stressed and that's the time when the parvo can Rear its ugly head yeah. again, unfortunately. It's a horrific. It's a
6: horrible thing. I saw a dog with it once. It's a horrible thing. You don't even want to think about. It. Listen, let's think happy things. Adopt, yes, don't adopt, don't shop, Tori and adopt, West don't shop. West Cork Animal Welfare. If you need any advice on what to do w- with a dog, thank you very much, Tori, and keep up the wonderful work that you guys do.
3: Can we just talk?
6: Opinion line on Cork's
3: 96 FM with
4: Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% Natural and Made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
6: And I'd like to hear from you. We've one more hour to go this week. We were talking about it earlier this morning and we're talking about it all week and we'll know more about it after the weekend as to what's happening with these vaccine cards, stroke vaccine passes to go into the pub or go into a restaurant and whatever. Mick says on WhatsApp, Hi PJ. Everyone that I've talked to will be using their vaccine card to go into pubs and restaurants. I wonder how many anti-vaxxers are included in that small figure disagreeing with the idea. The government are in that awkward situation where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And You put it very well, Mick. So let's throw it out there and without comment or without, you know, without much big discussion. We'll all be getting one. Anyone who's got a, a double vaccination and is through their vaccination now will be getting this pass either in the post or by email and the idea is as far as we know this pass will get you into the pub or the restaurant after a given date will you use it? You'll have it it'll come to you if you've been double vaccinated will you use it? Yes or no? Simple 083 396 96 96 I'll come back to uh, COVID again uh, we were talking to uh, Miriam Mullins TikToker Supreme in South Africa talking to her last night she was in a very precarious situation actually she'd broken curfew yes curfew something we never had to deal with here in the longest lockdown of our time we never had to deal with a curfew so I caught up with her last night in mid-curfew and she'd tell you what a real lockdown is like in South Africa she's there she's there at the moment I'll let you hear that one in a wee while just as well with Dublin Bay South again political geeks they are out there uh, 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 it's going to be an interesting one actually in Dublin Bay South the top three with 40% of the boxers tallied in Dublin Bay South Lynn Boylan of Sinn Féin has 25.5% of the vote uh, James Gagan of Fine Gael has climbed into second place on 24.3% but Ivana Bac- Ivanabach of Labour is just behind him at uh, 24 points, uh, percentage points. And then the rest of them down the page are just falling apart. The Fianna Fáil candidate there has 3.9% of the vote. Real collapse for for Fianna Fáil. So Dublin Bay South, that, that seat vacated by Owen Murphy, uh, the former housing minister, it's between Sinn Féin Finnegale and the Labour Party to see who'll take that seat. The tallies were predicting, as you go down the page, that they could see Gagan going out before Batchik and Boylan, and that he would elect Batchik. But there's a long way away to go from that yet. Long way to go. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Before I do any more, though, I want to talk about black pudding for a few minutes. Yes, black pudding. And the history thereof, and the making thereof, because we all ate it. Tis on the, the plate, at least on a Sunday, and it's got history to bait the band. Avril Allshire uh, from Russ Carberry, has made black pudding her life, well, part of it anyway. Avril, good morning to you.
0: Good morning, PJ. Good to hear
10: from you.
6: Thank you. This is not just something you put on the plate on a Sunday morning or between two slices of bread, as my wife has been known to do. There's history here.
0: Yes, there is. Um, I reckon that from the time that um, people started killing animals and using fire to cook, um, thrifty housewives would have ensured that nothing went to waste. They Mm -hmm. couldn't afford for anything to go to waste. So, um, the one ingredient that they couldn't find a use for possibly was the blood, and they wouldn't let it pour away, so they made black pudding out of it. And um, you know, it's been made with rice, it's been made with grains of various sorts, and it is very good for you.
6: And is blood still a component part?
0: Well, what do you think makes it black?
6: Rice. Right. <laughs> Sorry! No, no, I, I listen, I knew the answer to that question, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. No, well, um, It it became then that um, abattoirs um, would use the blood and make their own black pudding from their own blood, obviously. And people who were killing their pigs in their backyard would make black pudding. Um, It's not so simple nowadays. Mm. And um, we don't have an abattoir. So we actually use dried blood. And the only ingredient in dried blood is hemoglobin. Right. Nice. So it's really, you know, it's blood. Um, and when I hear it, really, it really does um, make me, annoy me when I hear people talking about real blood. Because blood is hemoglobin and water. Yeah.
6: You just take the water out.
0: We take, yeah, that's exactly it. We buy it in with the water taken out. Right. Um, and, and we make our pudding from pork and we use meat and fat and blood.
6: Right, so we you put the whole lot in, you put the, the, the dried blood, the meat and the fat, mash yep. it all up together
0: with um, what we use in our, in our uh, regular black pudding. We use um, pearl barley and pinhead oatmeal. Right. And obviously seasoning. And in our gluten-free pudding, we use rice.
6: Now, gluten-free, that's a new one.
0: Yeah. We've been making it for a few years. Mm. Um, I mean, what, William was 25, and we started doing that when he was about 19. So we've been doing it for about six years. But, I mean, I was aware of disease because I'm the one who's always done the tasting. Right. And people are coming along and saying, you know, any gluten free black pudding and I would say no. And when William joined the business after his even cert, he pushed his dad to, you know, Come on, Dad, we need to do this gluten free pudding. Mm. But Willie's perfectionist. Both my sons are perfectionists. So mm. it took twelve months before everybody was happy that the gluten free pudding Came up to the standard of the regular because pudding.
6: it has to taste the same, doesn't
0: it? It does, yeah, it does. And 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 you know when when Willie was was creating the original recipe for our black pudding, it took him fifteen months. And I had a job. I had two, actually I had two jobs apart from looking after the lads. Please tell me you got I, the job
6: of tasting it all.
0: We oh everything was tasted. I mean, I have... I have one is black pudding, the other at white pudding, because this was a family business. Mm. It didn't matter. They had to taste everything and critique it. Right. It didn't matter. It was the family business. And their opinion counted as much as anybody else's. Anybody who came to the door and you'd offer them a cup of tea, they didn't realise they were going to be paying for the tea because they'd have to taste the
6: latest <laughs> variation. Come here. what's yeah. the German connection to black pudding? The, the, the... Blood first. It's black pudding. Bloodfirst. Uh-huh. Aha!
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's what thing. it is.
6: So this. The, yes. I, <laughs> blood first
0: we've, Yeah blood first we We've, we've when, uh, The first time we entered The biggest European black pudding competition Which by the way when we originally got An email or a fax, either, a fax Back in 2007 I We thought it was a joke But I entered the pudding And I sent it over to France And we got the first Irish medal And we got gold that year Um, And we've got a number of other awards since. And I sent you a list of the awards we've won between one thing and another. Mm. And um, uh, we went over there, not knowing what we were going into, right? We knew there'd be French people there.
6: Mm.
0: Holy mackerel. They were there from Germany. They were there from every
6: European country. Mm. All cooking with blood, basically.
0: Well, what happens in that competition is you send over your product in March. And then there is a gala dinner and very interesting, the French do it that the awards are presented first, and only after the awards are presented and the speeches are made, do you sit down and enjoy your dinner really yes, which was really civilized because then you weren't worried about having a drink and sort of tottering your way to a stage you you could actually <laughs> you could actually sit down and, and you you spend so much time
6: your- walking to stages that is important for you but only-
9: <laughs> <laughs> fair play like. Um,
6: <laughs> we, we, but look when you look at it cork and food we a, and west cork different. and food we are absolutely. we are we are among and we should, we should we should shout it from the rooftops as often as people will listen we are among the best in the whole world at what we do in Cork.
0: we were always among the best mm. i i i mean i've absolutely no no hesitation in saying that i was i grew up near bandon and my Dad was a member of Bandon mm-hmm. Gun Club, and at the time Italians used to come in shooting pigeon and that 's all they did was shoot pigeon and I was you know a primary school child into secondary school and it never occurred to me how these lads could afford to come over every few weeks to shoot pigeon mm. back in the seventies uh, <laughs> and um, of course and, and and they they were they were directors of very, very large companies, and often coming home from school, myself and my sisters would come in gagging for our dinner, but instead we'd find these Italians sitting around the table eating brown bread, eating my mother's jam, eating cake, drinking tea, and thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was only then that I began to appreciate what we had. Um, and they started, They started. actually they were really interesting, because they introduced us to salami. They used to bring salami oh. over. Oh!
6: Yeah. yeah. Do you ever taste yeah. pigeon, by the way?
0: Uh, I would eat pigeon, yeah. braised in red wine. And my mother used to make wine.
6: Ah, listen, I'm sorry I didn't grow up in your house now. <laughs> this is gas. This is gas. But you still make, come back to the product of today, you still yes. make it by hand.
0: Yeah, we have, obviously, we've got um, a, a mincer grinder in the in the unit, but it's it's all weighed out by hand. Um, William and Morris, my two sons, they're 25 and 23 now, they are in charge of production. Morris particularly is in charge of production. All the time, and uh, his partner Laura with him, and two more people working with us. But everything is weighed out by hand. Um, all the bacon is—we do dry cure bacon. All the bacon is baked, roasted off in advance. Of Put it in the pudding. Um, it's all cooked every batch. Every batch. We don't make huge batches. I mean, we are artisan producers. Mm. And you know, I had this notion when we were when we got the first gold medal, and I explained to my husband that you know I. I was going to be a lady who lunched, and I was—you know—I wasn't going to get my hands dirty anymore. And um, he very
6: sensibly <laughs> both said, of them blown out the window, anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, he very sensibly said no, and I am so glad because yes. the following couple of years we were into a recession, and being small and focused on our own business, uh, concentrated on our own business, and now seeing how Willie's enthusiasm and passion, and I guess mine as well, has engendered itself into the William and Morris and Mm. they are as fussy good Uh, they're incredibly fussy and they're they're very very particular
6: there's um, no one more fussy fussy than a customer so if you're as fussy then then they have a lot less to fuss about Avril congratulations and continued success to everybody at Russ Carberry recipes talking about black pudding a thing of beauty if it's well produced and well cooked. Now to be honest, I I always kinda wondered black or white, black or white. I love white pudding. Oh jeez. I'd eat a whole one. I would like. I'd eat a whole white pudding. I would. Put it into two bits of bread. I oh jeez. But black pudding is is a thing of beauty when it's well presented well presented and well cooked. 1850 Frankie Frankie Beats, DJ. Supreme, uh, Portugal-based, has just tweeted, from tomorrow you will need to show your vaccine certificate to enter a restaurant in Portugal or to stay in a hotel in Portugal. I'm assuming, Frankie, that as I know he listens sometime over there, I'm presuming that this is the European vaccine cert that you can now get and fly with. But you're, now, if you think, right, from tomorrow, Portugal, no bait about the bush, no nonsense, no old well, to and, and fro between this and that and the other nonsense. From tomorrow, to go into a Pueblo restaurant in Portugal, you're going to need your vaccine certificate. And to stay in a hotel, you're going to need your vaccine certificate. Don't tell me we have the toughest restrictions on the planet.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy
4: Made Premium Spread, 100% Natural, and Made in Cork using West Cork Cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out.
3: Big Drive Home weekdays from four
4: on Cork's ninety six FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on the Big Drive Home for the biggest showbiz interviews.
7: I heard with Sam Smith wearing a Beyonce wig.
4: I've got the competition that is guaranteed to have you shouting at the radio the one second song. Hello. Ah, no. <laughs> for all that's happening in Cork, the biggest tunes and a bit of crack in the evening. You know what to do. Join me weekdays from four. The
3: Big Drive Home.
4: Let's Start business with Ford Lease. Hustle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The big drive
3: home. On Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
4: Call us now. 1850-715-996.
6: On Cork's 96 FM. Here's something very interesting. You know the way you tell your hairdresser everything? Well... That's what it sounds like. It often sounds to me like the women I know. Because men are much different when they go to the hairdresser, I think anyway. But the women I know, they tell their hairdresser more than they tell their husband. Be quite frank about it. So, here's a clever idea. Hairdressers are now going to be trained to spot signs of domestic abuse. It's an American idea, but it's going to come to pass here fairly soon. Uh, It's called Sheer Haven. I'm joined by Liz McKeown. Liz, good morning to you. Good morning. Those conversations, like I said, people tell their hairdresser more than they tell their husband, more than they tell their friends. (laughs) So what better way to train the hairdresser to spot danger signs?
5: Yeah, I think it's an amazing initiative. And um, it's a short training, 20 minutes long, to um, yeah, literally to teach people in the salon, uh, salon professionals, what to say and what you know how to listen and how to spot the signs of domestic violence, and um, you know I've worked in the salon industry for a long time now, and you feel very uh, you know when you see when you see the signs and you know what's happening and you don't know what to do then then you feel very powerless.
6: Mm. And there I, will always be the woman, won't there, comes into the salon on the Thursday morning or the Friday morning. And you kind of know something isn't right yes. with her, yes. But you don't know how to take it to the next step.
5: You don't know what to do, and, and, and you don't, and you don't know what to say. And you know if, if you do the wrong thing, then you could be endangering her even more.
6: Yeah. Or, or you could be invading her privacy. You, totally, it's it's she has to. Is it right? Is it she has to bring it to your table rather than you bring it to hers, kind of thing?
5: Well, I think you you made a very valid point that people working in salons have a very, um, a very privileged position with their clients and you're right the clients in the chair tell you all sorts of things good and bad and it's a relationship that builds up over time and you get and you get to know the person very well but you're also in the position to to spot the signs uh, like hair being pulled bruising makeup over bruising um that sort of thing so you can actually fee- see the phys- see the physical signs mm. and um yeah and you can lead the conversation that way
6: mm. You say 20 minutes training, what does that entail?
5: It's literally a 20 minute training and um, I came across it on LinkedIn um, just in my, in just some, oh, I don't know, just, you know, just playing around with LinkedIn one night a few months ago, one Saturday night when I was feeling very sorry for myself during COVID, you know, when we couldn't go out and, I've, and television was open. And I just, oh, I'm just going to do this training and um, it starts off, it's introduced by a lady called Suzanne Post who's, who's based in um, Nashville. Hmm. and um, Salon She was forced
6: to devise it wasn't she because she's a survivor herself
5: She's a survivor Hmm. so she developed the training and then she went to the the YWCA and um, so she had somewhere to recommend to people, and the training has been developed by them um, specifically and it 's really, really good because in twenty minutes they tell you exactly what to look out for, what to say, how to manage it, what not to do so it 's a very concise short 20 minute training um, for salon professionals and um, So I was really impressed with it and When, when you finish the training, um, you get you, you have to do a little multiple choice questionnaire, and then you get um, a share haven cert emailed to you. So I printed off my cert and I put it on my wall and mm-hmm. in my office and then I but I I would have a fairly large database of salon owners um, because of the work that I do. So I actually sent out a newsletter the following week, um, just saying, because the salons were shut, everybody was doing all sorts of virtual training, you know, to upskill technically. And, and I sent this out of my newsletter and I said, you know, I did this training over the weekend. It's only 20 minutes long. Please, please do it. Encourage your staff to do it. And um, apparently, you know, within days, a few thousand people in Ireland and the UK had actually done the training.
6: And has anyone come forward to you or any of your colleagues
5: about this?
6: Yeah, as in, have you discovered...
5: Yes. Right. Yes, and and that's why I feel that it's even more important that, that we take the message out there. So far, 25,000 people have downloaded this training worldwide, and it's now in 99 countries. But there's a lot more than 25,000 people... Um, involved in the Salon world um, globally. So this is really just at at the very early stages and, and I, I feel very honoured to have been appointed the um, Irish and UK ambassador to get the word out there and yeah. so that's why I'm like really grateful that we're, we're having this conversation.
6: Indeed. And this I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that even so far you and some of your colleagues have spotted things so, and I wouldn't go into anybody's privacy so I'm not even going to go there but supposing, you know... Mary comes in on Friday Yes. and in the course of the conversation, someone has been trained. Mary reveals something. What happens then? How can you help Mary?
5: Well, I think why this training is empowering is it's not as, you know, people working in salons, we can't fix the problem for Mary. All we can do now is listen and recognize that you can be a huge lifeline in the salon and we have connected up with with women's aid so we can give out the number for women's you know we we it's part of the training that you have the details yeah. and if mary needs needs somewhere to go that we can say look here here's here's the um here's the resources mm. if mary wants it but
6: you do something as simple as put a little piece of folded paper into her hand with her change or something
5: that, kind of? that's that's it because um and, and how how this was on my mind was during the first lockdown, um, I started to notice on, on my social media again that salon owners that I had worked with, I do business development in the in the hair and beauty industry. So I, I move around a lot of salons. So I I noticed people mainly in the UK that I had worked with putting up little posts saying saying to the Marys of, of the world, um, you know, if if you need any help, call me. If you need me, you know, and we can talk, call me and just say you want to talk about such and such a brand of skincare. If you need me to call the authorities for you, ask me about eyeshadow such and such. And I was observing this going on during the lockdowns, and I thought, well, clearly these salon owners know they have clients who are vulnerable and are at risk, and they're making themselves available for it. So. That was really the catalyst to it. And then I came across the training and then I thought of my own work and the number of times that I've been in various salons where, you know, on occasions, you know, I've had to just turn up on a day and, you know, an owner has been, you know, something terrible has happened the night before and I've had to get them out of their their homes or um, I've been in salons where I've seen, you know, People working there being abused and 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 different things, and I do have personal experience of it myself, so I recognize it. but what I understood and observed was that the people working in the salons who wouldn 't have had personal experience of it wouldn 't recognize the signs mm-hmm. so that 's why I think it 's time it 's time we do something about this, and the numbers are high um The numbers are like one in four women will experience this sort of um, intimate partner um abuse mm. um, and one and one in seven men. So the numbers are very high and they've really grown during the lockdowns and during the first lockdown, I don't have numbers for Ireland, but the, the first lockdown in the UK, the numbers grew by 7% in mm-hmm. the first lockdown. So I th- I think this is a resource that might just help to name the problem, just, yeah. you know, put it out there, but also to equip people in the salons just...
6: What to do. Well, I'm I'm happy and proud to say that this program is played in many salons across Cork City and County. Can can the ordinary worker in a yes. salon access this free very, and very, easy?
5: Very very easily, um, and as, as I say, literally twenty minutes. So my my name is Liz McKean, M C K E O N, and I've actually put this. Um, put this resource on my website so all you have to do is just Google my name come onto my website and the the training is there Great,
6: great. listen it's a super development really is, Liz McKeown from the International Mm -hmm. Salon Business School, thank you Liz it's called Sheer Haven and it sounds like a cracker of an idea
3: Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread,
4: 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now.
4: 83 396
3: 96 96. On
6: Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just for the political geeks, another brief update from the dublin Bay South by-election. They had just put up their 50% of the tally done now and I can tell you, I'm looking at a tally sheet and as a political hack, it's one of the best tally sheets I've ever seen. Anyway with 50% of the votes tallied and presumably half counted as well in Dublin Bay South, the lead is now held by Labour's Ivana Bacic with 25.3% of the vote. Second place is Fine Gael's uh, James Gagan at 25%, and Lynn Boylan of Sinn Fein, who led for a while, is coming in on 23.4%. Everybody else in that field is a total also ran, including this won't go well for me, How Martin. The Fianna Fáil candidate Conroy has 4% of the vote in Dublin Bay South. That'll play off player out over the next few hours I'm just reading as well where they've got to finish it today or tonight because the RDS Count centre is being used tomorrow I may be reading this wrong there's a Moldovan general election tomorrow a snap general election in Moldova and the Moldovan Moldovan community of Ireland you couldn't make this up is using the RDS tomorrow to vote that's gas altogether. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now I mentioned to you that I had cha- I caught up last evening with Miriam Mullins from Cork. She's got a huge following on TikTok and Instagram and fashion and lifestyle and blogging, and it's just fun. And she's great, grass gas crack. But she's in South Africa at the moment, and we said we'd have a little chat with her about, you know, South Africa and COVID and why she's there and what she's at and everything else. And and believe it or not, the Lions tour, which looks like being a complete shambles because of COVID-19. So I was uh, supposed to speak speak with her last night at half nine our time, which is half ten her time in Cape Town, where she's based at the moment. And when I got in touch with her, the connection was pretty awful because she actually wasn't home yet. She'd been driving with her boyfriend for a few hours and she wasn't home yet. And it was a bit of an incident, shall we say. We'll take the story up from there. Miriam, you're on your way home there, but you got (laughs) caught in a storm, as a result of which, as we speak, you're breaking curfew and you even had to get a letter to get permission to drive home. You better tell me this from the start. What's going on out there?
13: <laughs> yeah, so um, we're, Yeah. it's it's currently gone past curfew right now um, and a big storm happened so I'm actually driving six hours back to where I stay in Cape Town. Um, but this storm happened so we had to pull over for like 45 minutes um, and wait for the storm to pass so that we could drive again but We're gone past curfew so we basically had to go into a guard station get a letter just in case we get stopped it just says that we can drive it's just pretty strict here now at the moment with the the restrictions
6: so you've now carrying a letter to allow you break curfew so you can just go home i mean we some people thought it was it was difficult here but like (laughs) compared to the restrictions that we had at home and the restrictions you have out there now there's Mm -hmm. a big difference is there
13: there, there isn't. There isn't. I mean, the, there is in the sense that there is different restrictions here than there what there is at home. So, for example, here uh, they've completely banned the selling of alcohol. So you can't buy any alcohol. The reason why they did that is because there's a massive um, surge of A and E cases in South Africa with people obviously coming to A and E because of alcohol related injuries. Wow. And um, so they've had to do that to allow like COVID patients to come in and stuff like that um, because the cases did surge here a lot there last week so I'm here now almost a month and the first two weeks I was here like the cases were, were kind of normal you know and then all of a sudden they just surged like it was crazy hmm. Um, but yeah they, they brought in restrictions two weeks ago so there is a couple of new ones now like you can't eat anymore in a restaurant it's takeaway um, the shops are still open alright so you can still go to a shopping centre but Anywhere that you can't wear a mask, they've banned. So, like, no more sports, um, no more eating in restaurants, as I said, pubs, all that closed. Hmm. Um, curfew. So, there's a curfew at 9 p.m. till 5 a.m., I think. Right. Um, everything closes at, like, 8 o'clock. It's it's pretty strict, yeah.
6: Yeah. You've been there for the past month. I mean, are people worried about it? Or is this just, oh, here we go again?
13: Yeah, to be honest, well, I was actually here now in December as well. um, And in December, I noticed that people were a lot more, I guess, scared, I guess. I don't know. Is that the word? But now that the vaccines are being rolled out, I feel like people are like, oh, like this should be the last one now. This should be the last wave. But I don't know. Like, I mean,
6: have you had a vaccine yourself, Miriam?
13: I haven't yet.
6: Will you be able to get a vaccine while you're there?
13: No, unfortunately, they're, we tried getting one, actually, and they're only giving it to the over 65s at the moment. Right. And they're prioritising teachers, and obviously all the healthcare workers have had theirs here, but they just want to prioritise teachers and um over 65s at the moment.
6: I get you a bit nervous then?
13: Um, To be honest, not really. Like, I mean... Like when, I suppose, when we go back to Ireland, we have to hotel quarantine and stuff like that. We have to get a COVID test before we go. Um, yeah, we're we're actually thinking of taking one maybe next week just to, like, we, we don't have any symptoms or anything like that, but just be safe because we're flying home in three weeks, so, you know.
6: And is it easy to get one, Miriam? Do you have to book it or pay for it, or what's the story?
13: Uh, yeah, they're pretty easy to get here, yeah. You can just book it and go into, like, you can actually get them in the pharmacies here, I think, Hmm. So it's not too bad. That's handy. So what What has you there? So my boyfriend is actually from South Africa. Um, and the reason why we had to come back is because he's actually moving to Ireland. And we he had to get a visa. And also his mother isn't that well. And we just wanted to come over and look after her for a couple of weeks because his dad works full time and his sister is still in school. And She wasn't getting any better. So we just had to come over and help out a little bit and stuff. Um, So so that's why we came here for a couple of weeks.
6: Right, right. Because I was looking at your your Instagram and and your other videos and I saw the picture of she's headed for South Africa in the middle of a pandemic. There's got to be a good reason, I guess.
13: (laughs) Yeah, we got stopped by the guards actually in Dublin airport as well. And um we had we had like proof from the the hospital and stuff that she has that we you know were coming over to look after and stuff. so they were fine about it, but yeah the the aer- airport in Dublin has gone strict enough alright. and when you come back then it's it's into the hotel for two weeks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a friend of mine actually to do it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's actually, it's 10 days, and then I think they, um, they test you, and if you come back negative, you can leave after 10 days. Right. Then obviously, you have to stay for an extra couple of days if you're positive, you know.
6: Yeah, yeah. Are people nervous? Or would you be nervous going around unvaccinated in the middle of a surge, like...
13: Um, To be honest, I'm going to be honest, we don't really leave our apartment that often. Like This was the first time in a while that we we came to the other side of Cape Town for, for two days because, see, different parts of Cape Town have really high cases and we just said we'd go away for a couple of days just to get away from it all, you know what I mean? And the area that we went to is like really, like it's literally like a hidden gem like it's in the middle of nowhere and they don't have many cases there at all so we just said we'd come here for a couple of days um but to be honest we kind of we don't really leave the apartment that often like I work from home anyway with social media and stuff yeah yeah. so five out of the seven days a week I have to be home you know doing emails and all that kind of stuff so
6: I was laughing are you able to get them big bundles of clothes
13: oh stop (laughs) No, unfortunately not. It's um, <laughs> it's very difficult trying to get stuff shipped to South Africa. Oh my God, it's crazy. Yeah, You're, your you your following is huge. You were on me before, and you d- a decent
6: following. Your following is huge, girl.
13: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's growing. It's growing a lot over the last year, to be honest. But uh <laughs> Yeah, I know it's it's a lot of hard work put into it. To be honest.
6: <laughs> yeah, actually, talk to me a little bit about that because you know it it is kind of your full time job now. So, so how much work do you put into say TikTok, Insta, whatever, in a day?
13: Uh, in a day, I put in. Okay, all together, it's honestly like I try and do like a nine to five kind of thing. Like to be honest, it's the the brainstorming I find like when I first started doing TikTok I had so many ideas and all that but there's some days I have so much inspiration and other days I'm like oh my god I have no idea what to do Mm. but um, I think it's just sitting down and seeing what does like I just sit down some days and I see what's done well for me in the past and kind of just branch out on it a bit you know what I mean and like kind of keeping with like back to school season now is coming up so like do back to school videos things like that you know yeah you're planning ahead all the time yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But there's there's so much more to it than people think like um and as well like mentally sometimes it can be tough too but you know I've a very thick skin so I just I just try and ignore any of the negativity, you know.
6: Yeah, there are trolls out there. It goes with the territory.
13: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but sure. I just have to ignore it. <laughs>
6: ignore it, ignore it. You're better than them, as they say, and keep driving on. So, so you're out there now for, what, another couple of weeks, and then it's home?
13: Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm coming home in about two weeks, so my flight is the 20th, and then the hotel quarantine then for 10 days to two weeks.
6: The sports desk will kill me if I don't ask you. Is there much talk about the rugby out there at the moment and, and the Lions tour? Are, are they worried that it won't happen because of all this COVID?
13: Do oh, you know what? It's funny you said that because we actually had tickets for the British and Irish lines. Mm. Um, they were playing in Cape Town, but the, obviously they're not, they're not having an audience now anymore at it like no spectators. Um, so they are going ahead with it, I think, but it's just no spectators.
6: Yeah, disappointing. I guess you were looking forward to that. Mm.
13: Yeah, you know, when you're you're seeing the Euros on TV and there's a crowd there, it's like, oh, you know, it looks so, it's like something we haven't seen in a while. And then, yeah, we thought we'd be able to go to something like that. But look, it's grand. Yeah. We'll be able to go to a match soon. <laughs> well, stay safe,
6: get home, get quarantined, get jabbed. And best of luck to you, Marianne. And thanks for being with us today. It was a dodgy line. You're caught between two places. Thank you so much for doing this.
13: Thanks, PJ. Thanks for having me. And I'll chat to you soon.
3: Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made
4: Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
4: Call us now, 1850-715-996.
3: On Quartz 96 FM.
6: So just before we wrap up, a couple of things to do, including how on earth do you attract bees into a hive with lemongrass? I'm not joking you. Quickly before we go, he starts a new show tomorrow with Demi Unleashed on an unsuspecting public. Darren Johnson, how are you doing? Good morning, Pete. How are you? I don't know. I don't know who decided to license you two to, to, to tear into us of a Saturday. But good luck with it anyway, my friend, and best of luck to both of you. Thanks, but
7: but Organised chaos.
6: <laughs> tell me about the beehive, because you just got called out, as you do, to sort out bees.
7: Yeah, sure. What else would you be doing on a Wednesday? I got a, a call from a neighbour of mine to say that a swarm of bees had settled on a tree in the back of my mum's garden. Now, mum and dad were away for the day, so myself and my brother Robbie had to go out and capture this swarm. Um, which, um, you know, I, I was deathly terrified of bees up until I was about 26, and I ended up taking a beekeeping course out in CIT. Oh, as you do, that? That fear As you do, you know. I mean, they tell you if you've got a fear of flying, go flying. If you've got a fear of heights, go up high. Um, I took a beekeeping course. I was beekeeper. wondering
6: why your neighbours would ring the the DJ and production engineer and say, "Can you come and start out the bees?" But yeah, there's the d- secret. Jack of all trades, PJ.
7: Jack <laughs> of all trades. Yeah. So um, so yeah, we, we we had to put on the suits on Wednesday and uh, and try to capture this hive. And like bees, when they're swarming, are very very calm. Um. So they're, they're quite. Most of the time, quite easy to kind of manipulate and capture. So, we managed to actually capture the hive on Wednesday, or the swarm on Wednesday, and put them into a new hive, which was great,
6: you know. Honeybees, were they? How many how, honeybees, is it? Yeah, uh,
7: yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, there's there's um, uh, the European honeybee, is the most common uh, variety in Ireland. Um, right. And the uh, Irish black bee was actually caught extinct until 2017. And uh, swarms of them have started to show up in the wild, right. and a very Lucky few beekeepers actually have their own hives of Irish black bees. So so most people would be
6: terrified walking up to a tree. And there's, there's. But you were saying that they're not, they're not actually aggressive like that. So where does lemongrass come in?
7: So, for starters, PJ, I need to talk to you about how the bees communicate. Um, They talk to each other through pheromones. So, when they're alarmed, they emit a smell that other bees pick up on, and this alerts the rest of the swarm to any danger. And they have a variety of pheromones to indicate any change in their environment worth communicating. And the chemical makeup of lemongrass is very similar to the pheromone given off by the bees in order to signal a safe place to settle or to swarm. So, by dotting a few drops of lemongrass onto the frame, Uh, inside the empty hive. I was hoping to get them to shift naturally into the box with minimum amount of intervention but unfortunately that did not work on Wednesday.
6: (laughs) So what did you have to do? Uh,
7: In the end, we ended up having to get on the protective gear, the bee suits and um, we went down. Uh, We have a piece of equipment called a smoker. So what the smoker does is um, you you puff the smoke on the bees and it inhibits their ability to communicate because obviously their sense of smell is clogged up by the smoke so they can't smell any danger pheromones coming at them. So they... Stay in that calm state while they're swarming. Um, So, and at that point, we just got a brush and pan, took them off the tree, (laughs) dumped them into the hive. Just
6: pen and brush, like
7: pretty much. Yeah,
6: (laughs) you're the man in many parts, Darren Johnson.
7: Ah, yes, PJ. uh, Yes. Now, obviously, listen. I have to tell listeners: do not attempt to catch a swarm by yourself unless you have training and protective beekeeping gear it still is very dangerous to yeah. go at a swarm even though they are in that calm stage you can contact the Munster Beekeeping Society and no matter what part of Cork you're in, if you Google uh, beekeeper and your area, you'll find someone who would be delighted to take that swarm off here right. if you go
6: across one in the summer months. All right, Darren, listen, great story, thank you and good luck tomorrow with uh, yourself and Demi on Saturday afternoon, that's uh, our Dan, our man, Darren Johnson lovely message from Dee to finish, thank you very much good morning PJ, great Be back listening to you where I get all my trusted knowledge and tips for living with COVID. I hope you enjoy my three lovely clips of your trip to Hook Lighthouse. Uh, And thanks for that, Dee. And welcome back to Cork Soil, the safety and security of Cork Soil. All right, it's been a busy all week. Look after yourselves, all right? And if you've got your appointment for your second jab, go and take it. I see the HSC is saying this morning 5% of people not turning up. for their second jab. For goodness sake, go and get it and you'll be grand and we'll take it nice and handy. Program today edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe and we shall see you Monday just after nine.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.